Thank you. Uh, I was also just thinking a moment ago just that I hope you had an opportunity to reflect a bit yesterday on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And that, of course, you know, comes to mind with what Grant prayed in regard to unity. I think it's obviously an opportunity for us to continue to pray for those that lost loved ones in in tragedies like that, to pray for first responders who who, who arrive first and... and, uh, assist us in that way, but, but also, you know, it just, yeah, in the midst of our world to, to pray for things that unify and bring people together and have people consider the needs of others and the perspectives of others, I think that would be a, a great prayer request to come out of, or a, a great uh, result to come out of reflecting and remembering uh, on 9-11 20 years ago. Sobering yesterday to uh, be on airplanes for different flights, um, or sorry, two different flights, two on the way out there, two on the way home yesterday, making my way back from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Some of you were aware um, that my grandmother, uh, Mary Olson, passed away uh, last Sunday, actually, right as we began worship last Sunday, uh, and I found out after church last Sunday. And so some of you are aware of that, and I appreciate your prayers and care uh, for me, and and I'm thankful for the opportunity that I had to fly to Sioux Falls, um, where she had been living the last 16 years, and, uh, and have that opportunity to be with my family. Um, God gave her 97 years on earth. And uh, so, so while as, as death is, while it was sad in ways and while, while we grieve and we'll miss her, uh, it really was, in her case, uh, as a 97-year-old follower of Jesus, it really was a joyful occasion for us as a family. Um, thrilled for her and enjoying, and then enjoying uh, the, uh, you know, um, time with family as well, but uh, mostly just thrilled for her knowing that uh, she has now confirmed what Paul says, that it's better to depart and be with the Lord, that, that to, bar- to depart and be with Jesus is far better. So uh, I love thinking that she uh, has gotten to confirm that and, in- and enjoy the presence of Jesus and, uh, and be re- reunited with grandpa and others as well. When I think of my grandma, uh, what easily first and foremost came to my mind, there's, there's so much gracious, sweetness, care, loving uh, ministry. She was a pastor's wife. Um, but what really comes to my, what stood out to me is, uh, is prayer. And the times that I would be in contact with her in recent months, recent years, was always about her encouragement and assuring me that we were prayed for that myself and my kids by name every day, that my dad and his uncles and their kids and their kids were prayed for by name every day. She would say, (laughs) the last few times I called her uh, or talked to her on the phone, she would often finish the conversation by saying the same thing, assuring me that, that we were prayed for by name every day, twice a day, because her morning routine involved getting up and having time in God's word, her devotions, and then prayer for her family. And then she would say, and sometimes a second time at night, but I admit, sometimes I fall asleep while I'm praying. And, and one of her sons, my uncle Carrie, said, but what a great way to fall asleep, right? Praying for her family. And, and my uncle Carrie also, just in his message at her funeral, just said, that is a ministry of prayer and intercession. That was the ministry that God 
uh, had my grandma in, even in, in her later years, even as she suffered and got closer to being with him. And when I think of prayer, I also think of our sister in Christ, Petey Prater, part of our church family. And I know Michael mentioned this last Sunday, but we want you to know that uh, Petey's memorial service is this week. So I think the information will be on the screen. Um, Petey uh, was part of our church for a long time and, and, and was an encouragement to me. And I know to many of you and probably what sticks out for many of us with her is prayer. Um, an amazing prayer warrior. A couple of weeks ago, we taught the, the armor of God from Ephesians 6, and, and, and that is a woman of God who knew to put on the armor of prayer and pray for those around her and pray for her church family. And uh, so what a blessing to have her as part of our church family and now to know that she too is enjoying the presence of Christ. So the memorial service is this Friday, 2 p.m., uh, right here in this room. A few minutes ago, we sang, So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees. Uh, as, as we grow as followers of Jesus, may we grow in prayer. Church family, you and me, as we grow in Jesus, may we grow in prayer. What a better way to grow in prayer then uh, but to study Jesus praying. And so, um, as Grant's already said, that's what we're going to do here in our series in John 17, the high priestly prayer. Uh, this is Jesus' prayer to the Father, the setting, as, as, as was already mentioned, is it's the last week of Jesus' earthly life. It's, it's uh, the Thursday night before the crucifixion. Uh, the, the, Jesus has enjoyed the Last Supper with his disciples. He has washed their feet. He, uh, uh, we've already seen Judas leave the room to betray Jesus. Jesus is giving his last instructions, his teaching for his disciples, what to expect when he's gone, and, and then he prays in John 17, this high priestly prayer. And this prayer does a lot of things, and we're going to take a, a look at it this, this morning and two more Sundays, and, and we probably still won't scratch the surface of understanding the amazingness of this prayer. Um, but Jesus summarizes his relationship with the Father. This prayer has a lot about his relationship with the Father in heaven, God. And, and then this prayer has a lot then about how he wants us to relate to him and to the Father. And just as Grant and Judy read it, the high priestly prayer has three parts. This first part is what we'll cover this morning, where really he's praying in regard to himself. Jesus is praying in regard to himself. And then next week, he prays for his disciples. And the third week, we'll cover the part of the passage where he prays for all believers in Jesus, present and future. So let's pray before we uh, jump into God's word. Father, we always uh, need you so much as we endeavor to study your word. We're thankful that your spirit is within us and that your spirit can help us to understand. God, would you... Um, Draw us to yourself as we consider your word, as we consider these words of Jesus' prayer. Would you help us to understand and to see what you have for us and to apply them to our own lives? God, would you help us to um, fight on our knees? Would you teach us to pray? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you. 
I mean, right away, there's, there's lots of things that we could, we could touch base on or touch on here, but right away, there's a claim to deity. This is Jesus referring to himself as the Son of God. This is Jesus um, praying to the Father and saying, glorify your Son as you are glorified. God doesn't give his glory to anybody, but Jesus is God. They are one. And so here is, is, is right in the, immediately in his prayer, you see that Jesus is, is, um, is showing himself to be the Son of God. And when he prays, these first few verses, he's praying in regards to himself. And he's praying regarding his glorification, that he would receive the glory due him, that he would continue to receive the glory due to God. And, and glory is seen the more we know God, who he is, and what he's about. The more we, that is revealed to us about God, you think about in your life of learning from the Bible and learning about God in different ways, the more that is revealed to us about God and who he is and what he's all about, the, the more we, we are able to see God's glory and give him glory. So, you know, what are some of these ways? What are some of these ways that God's character and nature are, and, and his activity in our world are, are revealed to us? Well, in his creation, in what he has made, we see in places like Psalm 19 on the screen, the heavens declare the glory of God. We know that we can look around at all that he has made, and that reveals to us the reality of God and some of what he is like. We know about the glory of God from studying his word. So some followers of, of God in the Bible had amazing opportunities. Moses on Mount Sinai saw and experienced the glory of God. The, uh, three of the disciples, James, Peter, and John, uh, went up on uh, what we call the transfiguration and, and saw God's glory. So short of that, though, short of one of those experiences of, of trying to understand who God is and, and see his revealed glory... Here's what we need to know most. The most complete revelation, the, the most complete picture, the best display of God's glory came in the person of his son, Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 on the screen tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, and he is the exact imprint of God's nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is the best revealing of God's glory and who he is. So we want to keep looking at this passage then. How does this passage in John 17 indicate that Jesus is glorified? How is he glorified and how will he be glorified? We're going to, we're going to, we're going to see that he's glorified because of the cross, that he is glorified in heaven, and that he is glorified in and through the church, God's people. Look again at verse 1. Father, the hour has come. What hour is he talking about? Going to the cross. Fulfilling God's will for his life. His earthly life has been, has been pointed toward going to the cross. Him willingly die so that you and I could live. Verse 1, Jesus prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. You know, we could say everything about Jesus' life glorifies God. Everything about his death glorifies God, everything about his resurrection, everything about his ascension back to the right hand of the Father. But right here, there's, there's, there's some emphasis on his life. Jesus' life, he's saying, the hour has come. Uh, glorify your son 
so that the Son may glorify you. His life has pointed toward God. We've seen Jesus perform miracles. We've heard his teaching by this point. But also, just his daily life. Jesus living the life that you and I cannot live. Living the life tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Jesus' life gives glory to God. But specifically in verse 4, he says, The hour has come. It's time for me to complete the mission. It's time to go to the cross. Verse 4. Look down at verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. It made me think of, uh, of elsewhere in the Gospels. The, we, we know that as Jesus breathes his last earthly breath, he says, It is finished. And in verse 4, he says, I have I've accomplished the work you gave me to do. He hasn't yet been crucified. He's, he's just hours before the crucifixion. But, but in Jesus' mind, it's as good as done. When he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, we do see that he, he might know there is another way. Perhaps he's certainly capable of avoiding the cross, but it's accomplished. It's a done deal. It's already as good as done. He is willing. His, his, his sacrifice for us on the cross was not an accident that God lost control of. It wasn't that those, that those authorities at that time somehow had more power than God and killed Jesus against God's wishes. This was the Son of God willingly going to the cross, accomplishing God's mission, finishing the work that he was given to do. So when he breathed his last, right before he breathed his last, he said, it is finished. And I I love that that's even before the resurrection. He says, it is finished. We we think of the resurrection as as the victory and, and, and and as the end of the process and his ascension back into heaven. But it's the cross where our rescue was assured. It's the cross where where a holy and perfect God is made right and put back in relationship with sinful you and me. It's the cross where Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, where where he paid the cost of our salvation. So Jesus is glorified because of the cross. That's what we see in his prayer. And also we see him talk about his glorification in heaven. Look at verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. That's an incredible statement. I've already been with you. I've already existed for all of eternity. I am pre-existent. Jesus says, I did not come to be just when I was born an earthly baby boy. I have always been. And before I was with you in heaven with the glory of God, because Jesus, Father, Son, Spirit, are God. So verse 5, Jesus prays, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is preexistent and, and equal to God, equal to the Father. But places in God's word, like in Philippians, tells us that Jesus willingly set aside the glory of and kind of the benefits of deity, 
that he was willing to set aside all that he had because of his identity as God, because of his presence with God, because of he was willing to set that aside so that he could fulfill this mission of coming after you and I, entering into our world, becoming a human baby, humbling himself not only to be a human, but humbling himself to death, and not just death, but death, a brutal death on a Roman cross. Jesus submitted himself, became a man, willingly endured death, and, and did we say he was preexistent? Did he have glory before? Yeah, he already has existed for all time. He was already present with the Father and, and do all and receiving all and, and having the glory. He set that aside, came to be with us, and because he willingly endured, suffered, and died, Philippians 2 says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So Jesus already had glory, and then he came and did what God sent him to do, and it's like he gets more glory somehow. And our, yours and my, recognition of who Jesus is and what he's done should cause us that kind of awe and an opportunity to give him glory. Whether it's old news or you're hearing it for the first time, Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus in this prayer in John 17 is praying for his glorification. His glorification comes in the cross, <clears throat> his glorification, there went my voice. <clears throat> I'll be right back. <clears throat> his glorification comes through the cross. His glorification comes in heaven. We, we see that too, you know, knowing that Jesus lived the life that you and I cannot live without sin. He died the death that we deserve. And then he ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of God and he reigns with God. So there is, there's another indication that he is glorified in heaven. He is glorified at the right hand of the Father. He is, he, that prayer has been answered, his glorification in the presence of God. Um, before we wrap up here and do the last chunk of, of our passage for today, I just wanted to say that um, part of my week in Sioux Falls, um, I arrived on Wednesday. We had visitation for my grandma on Wednesday evening. We had a funeral on Thursday morning, proceeded to have a luncheon, and then proceeded out to the graveside uh, in, rural, in rural South Dakota, about 45 minutes out of Sioux Falls. And, and so that was all of our Thursday, and I'm so thankful that I stuck around for Thursday evening, I was able to, didn't have to fly immediately home. I had Thursday evening, Friday, Saturday morning, and that was where, what a joy to be with family and to see cousins and aunts and uncles who I don't get to see very often, um, but also to participate in, you know, what could be very difficult things, helping my dad and his uncles um, work through grandma's belongings and things like that. And yet, what a special time for us cousins, and certainly for my dad and his brothers, 
um, to, to have an opportunity. I had the opportunity to bring home things that were dear to my grandparents that now are dear to me and that I'll be able to share with my family. Um, and and inc- included in that, there's a few things, but included in that was I got to go through a box of my grandpa's sermon notes. My grandpa was a pastor for really his whole life, and, uh, and, I, and I got to go through this box, and, and much of it was handwritten uh, and uh, paper clipped together by Book of the Bible, and, and then just piles and piles, overwhelming to my uncles. I have, I have two uncles that are pastors, and then my father's a funeral director. My grandpa liked to say that we have families taken care of from birth to death. And, and so I went through these notes, and I got to keep a few of Grandpa's sermon notes. And I came across a packet of notes, paper-clipped, and it was a study of the book of John. And since I had just begun studying for this series, I had to look through those notes. I'm flipping through John chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, on, on, John chapter 12, John chapter 15, John chapter 16. Guess where it ended? John continues, but for some reason, his packet of notes ended with John 17, verses 1 through 5. I'm not making that up. I had decided that's where we were preaching this Sunday, and for some reason, that's where his packet of sermon notes ended. Um, so if you'll, if you'll allow me, I'll share a glimpse. I don't know how long that's been up there, but there it is. <clears throat> notes for 17, 1 through 5. And if you can't read my grandpa's writing, neither can I, but I did manage to make this out. He writes, truly, it's the Lord's Prayer. Now, why does he say that? Because what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer sometimes is, is elsewhere in Scripture when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, right? Teaching the disciples how to pray. We refer to the Lord's Prayer as when he taught us how to pray, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, etc., etc., right? But, but many people look at John chapter 17 and say what my grandpa says here, truly, this is the Lord's Prayer, Yes, he's teaching us to pray there and other places in Scripture. But here, it's, it's the best glimpse we have. Grant mentioned it's the longest of Jesus' prayers recorded in Scripture. And it's his last public prayer. And I would say it's his best indicator of his heart. As we study chapter 17, we get a really great glimpse of the heart of Christ for his relationship with the Father and his desire for our relationship with him and with the Father. And then his grandpa's notes continue. What will be the result of Calvary, right? And, uh, referencing the cross. What will be the result of Calvary, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus? And here's the answer. That, here's what Jesus was praying for. And the answer is, what will be the result of, of the cross, of resurrection and ascension? That there's glory to the Son. That he will be glorified and glory to the Father. Jesus is glorified in this, in this passage as he prays. He prays for his glorification. We see his glorification in the cross. We see his glorification in the presence of God. Here's, here's you know, the cross is 2,000 years ago. And Jesus' glory at the right hand of God is a little hard for us to contemplate at times or, or to understand fully. But there's more in Jesus' prayer. When Jesus prays that he will be glorified, he wants to also be glorified in the church. And as we often say around here, the church is not a building. 
Don't think of the place. Don't think of the building. The church is not a building, but the people of God. All believers in Jesus everywhere. We are a local expression. Faith church is a local expression of the universal worldwide church of God, believers in Jesus. And Jesus is glorified on the cross, yes. And he's glorified at the right hand of God, yes. He's also glorified through God's people. And so when Jesus is sitting here in John 17 praying to the Father that he would be glorified, he prays for you and I too. It's incredible. He remembers that because we have the opportunity, because we followers of Jesus have the opportunity to display to the world Jesus, we have an opportunity. Do you realize this, friends? In your spheres of influence, here in Dallas, in Oregon, with family, with coworkers, with fellow students, we have this opportunity to, to be displayers of Jesus and point, therefore, to his glory. So Jesus remembered then, I'm going to pray for you. I I want you to do that. I want you to display Jesus. So he prays for the church. He prays for our salvation. Where do we see this? In John 17, look at verse 2. Since you have given him, he's referring to himself, since you have given Jesus authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. This is, he's, he's praying for the church, for those who will believe in him, who he gives eternal life. The gospel is the good news that God rescues sinners like you and I through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Verse 2 reminds us that our salvation is a gift. It's a gift of God's grace. It's not something that we have to earn. It's not something that we strive for. It's not something we match up to God. It's not something if we have enough brownie points, maybe we'll be saved. It's a gift of God's grace, and we receive it by faith. We receive God's gift of salvation by putting our trust in Jesus. What is eternal life? If, if Jesus has been given the authority to give the gift of eternal life, to give the gift of salvation, what is eternal life? Verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you. Jesus praying to the Father and says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. If, if his mission, if Jesus has been given the authority to give eternal life to those whom God had for him, we want to know what eternal life is. So Jesus' prayer answers that, that eternal life is to know God and the Son who he sent. So then followers of Jesus, let's be sure that we consider for ourselves and for those around us who desperately need Jesus, let's consider What's involved in knowing Jesus? If eternal life is knowing God and Jesus, what's involved in knowing Jesus? And here, um, one of the commentators, a pastor, author I studied, Kent Hughes, suggests this, that that knowing Jesus involves knowing something about Jesus. Knowing Jesus involves intimacy of relationship. And knowing Jesus means a growing knowledge. So real quickly, those. Number one, knowing Jesus involves knowing something about Jesus. I, I, mean, I mean, maybe that's just pretty much an obvious statement. We're, we're not going to have an opportunity to know Jesus unless we know about him. 
We're not our, 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 our people in our lives that are far from Jesus and, and hurting and desperate and doomed to death apart from God are not going to know uh, the opportunity for salvation apart from knowing about Jesus. And so biblical illiteracy is a problem for us and for the people we want to share with. If we are biblically illiterate, we stunt our opportunity to know Jesus. God can work, and God draws people to himself however he wants, and that's a, that's a whole other topic perhaps. But, but we stunt our opportunity to know Jesus. We, we do need to know something about him. Do you seek to learn about Jesus? Do you study your Bible? Not just once, not just up until the time you became a Christian, but daily now, and until you're 97 and God calls you home, do you seek to know him? But then we need to go beyond that. The second one is that knowing Jesus involves intimacy of relationship. It's not enough just to know verses, to know Bible verses, to know facts about Jesus, to have heard some Bible stories, to have checked the religious boxes of occasionally coming to church and occasionally dusting off the cover of my Bible. It's not enough to just know facts about Jesus it, knowing Jesus involves intimacy of relationship. It involves knowing Jesus, being in relationship with Jesus, where I know him and he knows me, and there's a mutuality of, of knowing and being known, of walking with, of, of seeing him as, as not just a rescuer to get out of, of hell free card, but of putting my trust in him and making him Lord and master over all of my life and submitting every area of my life to him, there's an intimacy of relationship of walking for him, walking with him, and of living out the ways of Jesus. So yes, we need to know something about Jesus, and then we and those around us who need Jesus, we need to point them into the intimacy of relationship, of, of receiving him and following him and obeying him, and living for him. And then, knowing Jesus means a growing, growing knowledge, or I would say a growing relationship, or I would say an ongoing relationship. You know, just remember, we often talk about, you know, Christianity, our, 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 our trip to heaven, our trip into, into being a Christian, our trip into salvation is not something that we cross over into and now we're done. Oh, great. I know Jesus. I've submitted my life to him. I'm in. I'm good. Done. No, it's a journey. It's a process. It never ends. We become followers of Jesus because of the good news the gospel is the good news that God rescues sinners like you and I through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And yes, part of that good news is that we cross from death to life. That we are saved, that we are justified, that we are put back in relationship with God. But the gospel is the good news that God rescues sinners like you and me through the life, death, and resurrection means not only that we become a Christian and receive salvation, but that he is transforming us from the inside out making us into a new person. There's this metamorphosis going on, a growing knowledge, a growing relationship, transformation into the likeness of Christ. Becoming a follower of Jesus isn't getting into a club, checking the religious box and being done. Becoming a follower of Jesus is, changes everything. He's remodeling the place. He's making you into a new person, giving you a new heart, a new mind, a new attitude, and new desires. 
and helping you to live for him in every area of life. And so Jesus prays to the Father and says, this is eternal life, that they know you. And so then we are asking ourselves this morning, do we know Jesus? Do we know something about him? Do we have intimacy of relationship? And do we have growing knowledge, growing relationship, continuing transformation? Um, in our church family, you know, we want to help you in that area. God, it's God's work in you first and foremost. It's the spirit of God that lives within you, followers of Jesus, that is doing the transforming work. But Faith Church exists to help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus, to become more increasingly transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And so one of many ways we do that around here is we encourage you to, yes, to be here on Sundays, yes, to, to know the large group of our church family, but we also really encourage you to be part of a life group, to take the, the large church family and make it a little smaller, to, to find a group within our church family where you can know them and they can know you, where you can be in relationship. And, um, and, and, and we feel like our life groups and being connected to people in that way is, is one of many ways, one of the great ways that God is at work in our church family to help you in your knowing Jesus. Um, so, you know, in upcoming weeks here, we're going to talk about uh, life groups and how our life groups are going to be on, on mission uh, into the community and serving others. We're going to talk about how life groups are a family and how we need community. But today, I, you know, just thinking about today's text, I want to emphasize spiritual growth. That part of our life groups are, one of the reasons our life groups are important for you to connect is for your spiritual growth. So that you can increasingly know Jesus. And so, you know, even within our, our life groups, we encourage our life, our, our, our church is one size, right? And we make it a little smaller by being in a life group. And then we actually encourage, you almost could go a little smaller from there. And within a life group, you could meet within an even smaller group, women with women and men with men, perhaps two, three, four. And we find that to be an incredibly great place for spiritual growth. It's part of my really. Uh, testimony of my growth in Christ is that the years of, of my life where God is at work most, peeling back the layers of my sin and helping me to understand myself, have been very much tied to the years of my life where I've been connected with, another, with a group of men who I could tell the truth about my life and, and, and who we could pray for one another and how we could point one another back to Jesus. And so that's an aspect of our life groups that we would just encourage you to consider and we can help with that. We can connect you with a life group. We can train life groups on that process. Um, but that's an aspect. Faith Church exists to help you become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Life groups are, are one way that we're, at, that we're asking God to use to help us grow spiritually. And, and I pray, church family, I pray that our ministry as a church family that our connection to life groups would result in changed lives. That we, would, that we would not just join a club or want some friends or say, okay, Derek, I'm in a group, check. But that we would ask God to use it to change lives, to make us more like Jesus. Why? So that people around us would see Jesus in us and find him and find life.
Father God, thank you for being with us. As we study your word, we look forward to more in John 17. Father, we, we thank you for your son, for sending your son, for his work on the cross, for glorifying him in, in his accomplishing the mission you gave him. Father, we, we lift high the name of Jesus, knowing that you have highly exalted on him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. God, would every tongue, ours included, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And God, we pray that, that Jesus would be glorified through us as well. That, that on our, from our earthly perspective, until we see you face to face, until we get to our heavenly home at the end of the earthly journey you give to us, from this perspective, down here, God, would you be glorified in your church? Would we as believers have the opportunity to display your glory to those around us? Would you use us to give people a glimpse of your glory? Would you help us be conduits of your love to those around us? Would we be proclaimers of the great news of what Jesus has done, his life, death, and resurrection? Father, I pray that the more we seek to know you, the more we recognize your greatness, the more we give you glory. God, I pray that the, that, that would result in increasingly our, our old self falling away, our, our sinful nature being chipped away at, our old way of living going away, and new life continuing to spring forth in us, new, new likeness to Jesus. Continue to change us for our good and your glory. Would people around us, would people in our spheres of influence see Jesus in us so they could find Jesus and find life? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.